0: Hello, this is Kalia in 2020. What you are about to hear is the remastered version of the episode that you clicked on. Why? Well, it turns out that when I started this podcast, I got some incorrect information regarding copyright law and fair use policy. After nearly two years of making content, this oversight was brought to my attention. There was mild panic, lots of guilt, and then a few fervent nights doing research. It seems we might exist in this grey, nebulous area of fair use for critique and commentary, and thus our use of a teeny-tiny bit of the music from the soundtracks of the movies that we are critiquing and commenting on might be allowable. But then again, it might not. So a few things. 1. I don't want to be a jerk, even accidentally. 2. I think it's important to acknowledge when you mess up. But 3. And this is key. I think acknowledging your mess up isn't enough. You have to rectify the situation if possible. And guess what? It's totally possible to go back into these old episodes and clip out the maybe legal, maybe just slightly crappy bit of audio and replace it with a bit of music created just for me by the same composer and performer who made us our theme music. Which is what I'm going to do. And since I can't help but tinker just a smidge, I might clean up a teeny tiny bit of audio noise while I'm in there. I mean... I've learned a lot over the last two years, and who knows, you might be stumbling upon this podcast feed years from now, so why should your present-day ears be punished because way back in time, I hadn't yet found the noise reduction button? Anyway, without further ado, here is the podcast you came here for, just slightly better. Thanks for listening.
1: It's the Pages of Popcorn's Podcast. Jennifer and Kalia will edify it. It's the Pages of Popcorn's Podcast. Jennifer and Kalia are gonna talk, so you'd better damn well listen.
0: Hello and welcome to Pages and Popcorn Podcast, the podcast where we, Jennifer, and Kalia, discuss movies based on books, as well as the original source material. Today's episode is Wild, or rather, the 2012 memoir Wild from Lost to Found on the Pacific Crest Trail, along with a 2014 film with the thankfully shortened title of Wild, which was a movie that starred Reese Witherspoon. But first, a quick reminder.
1: You can connect with us on Facebook by typing in Pages and Popcorn Podcast into your search bar. You can visit our website where we have show notes and a list of upcoming episodes. And you can email us directly at popcornpodcast at gmail.com.
0: If you want to help support us, first off, thanks! There are two great ways to show us some love. Firstly, by sharing our social media posts, telling your friends to listen to us, and rating and reviewing us on iTunes. But if you feel like you want to go above and beyond, you are welcome to support us with a dollar a month over at our Patreon page, which you can find at www.patreon.com pagesandpopcornpodcast.
1: Now, on with the show.
0: As we said, Wild from Lost to Found the Pacific Crest Trail is the 2012 memoir by the American writer, author, and podcaster Cheryl Strayed. The memoir describes Strade's 1,100-mile hike on the Pacific Crest Trail in 1995, which was a journey of self-discovery. The book reached number one on the New York Times bestseller list was the first selection for Oprah's Book Club 2.0. And then, like I said, it was the 2014 American biographical adventure drama from director Jean-Marc Vallée. The screenplay by Nick Hornby is based on Cheryl Strayed's 2012 memoir. And the film stars Reese Witherspoon as Strayed alongside Laura Dern as Strayed's mother. I don't know why Strayed is so hard for me to say, but I think partly in my head When I read this book originally, before I actually read it, when I just saw it, I thought, oh, it's spelt like Strayed, but I'm sure it's pronounced Strayed or something. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) It's Strayed. 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 So normally I do a book recap and then I do a film recap. And today I'm not doing that. I'm doing one recap because it is very much the same story and it's told in very similar fashions. So... It's a little different today. So it's recap time. Here we go. This is a powerful, blazingly honest memoir. It's the story of the 1100 mile solo hike that broke down the young woman reeling from catastrophe and then built her back up again. That's from the publisher, not from me. At 22, Cheryl Strayed thought she had lost everything. The wake of her mother's death, her family scattered and her own marriage was soon destroyed. Four years later, with nothing more to lose, she made the most impulsive decision of her life after a life of impulsive decisions, to hike the Pacific Crest Trail from the Mojave Desert through California and Oregon to Washington State, and to do it alone. She had no experience as a long-distance hiker, and the trail was little more than an idea, vague and outlandish and full of promise. But it was a promise of piecing back together a life that had come undone. Strayed faces down rattlesnakes, black bears, moose, one moose, intense heat, record snowfalls, and both the beauty and the loneliness of the trail. Her story is told with great suspense and style, sparkling with warmth and humor. It vividly captures the terrors and pleasures of one young woman forging ahead against all odds on a journey that maddened, strengthened, and ultimately healed her. Again, part of this is straight from the publisher. She did this hike in the summer of 1995. Along the way, the narrative offers numerous flashbacks and memories explaining what has led Cheryl to take on this incredible feat. She grew up living a happy, if unconventional, life in Minnesota with her siblings, stepfather, and beloved mother, Bobby, after fleeing from a domestic violence situation. She went on to study literature and women's studies at the University of Minnesota, during which time she also married a man named Paul. In the winter of 1991, as Cheryl is completing her senior year of college, her mother is diagnosed with lung cancer at the age of 45 and dies only three months later, sending Cheryl into a devastating spiral of grief. Over the next several years, Cheryl and Paul live a restless and unsettled life, often moving from place to place across the country. Cheryl's grief pushes her away from Paul. She also begins being unfaithful. Early in 1994, Cheryl confesses her infidelity, and the two decide to separate. She spends the summer in Portland, Oregon, where she becomes involved in an unhealthy relationship with a man named Joe, and also begins using heroin. Paul eventually persuades her to leave Portland and return to Minnesota, but the two of them decide to divorce. In December of 1994, Cheryl also realizes that she's pregnant. At about the same time, she learns about the existence of the Pacific Crest Trail, and begins to be a little bit curious about hiking it. In the early months of 1994, Cheryl has an abortion and finalizes her divorce while preparing for her hike. She leaves Minnesota and travels to California in June of 1995, where she will begin her hike in the Mojave Desert. She plans to hike from there to Ashland, Oregon, where she thinks she might like to move. Cheryl is inexperienced, but hopeful that the trip will transform her and help her heal. Cheryl's time on the trail is more difficult than she anticipated. She was not prepared at all. She struggles with an overloaded pack, painful boots, and of course fear. She also has chosen a difficult year for her hike because the trail is experiencing heavy snow that makes it difficult to cross in sections, especially since Cheryl has not brought along the right equipment. However, Cheryl's hike quickly teaches her the importance of resilience and courage and strength in her fortitude since she refuses to give in to her worries, doubts, and pain. Her interactions with other hikers and people she meets when she stops in various towns along the route are encouraging. Many people are impressed with her. Many men want to sleep with her. Everyone tells her how brave she is. Cheryl eventually finds a balance between being dedicated and being foolhardy as she decides to bypass the snowiest and most hazardous part of the trail. As a result, she has time to extend her route all the way through Oregon, and her new ending point will now be at the Bridge of the Gods and the border between Oregon and Washington. Cheryl encounters perils along the trail including losing her boots, running out of water, living through high temperatures, and a threatening encounter with two men. She also has to contend with her own loneliness and her own personal rumifications on her own past. However, the hike also brings her a sense of optimism and healing. The experience of being alone in nature forces her to confront who she really is and what she really wants from her life, even as she will always be marked by the grief over the loss of her mother and her other traumatic childhood experiences. By the time Cheryl reaches the Bridge of the gods, she feels transformed and strengthened. The narrative reveals that she will go on to meet a loving husband and have two children, including a daughter, whom she will name after her mother. Cheryl has reached true self-acceptance through her hike, and the book ends with her acknowledging her inner wildness. As does the movie, honestly. So, wow. I mean, I could be way more detailed, but it's really long. Lots of stuff happens, and it's that's basically... I, I don't know, what did you think? Was that an okay recap? Because I feel like we're going to talk about specific things, but...
1: Yeah, that's basically what happens. It's a woman on a trail because her mother died, and she had heroin issues and impulse control issues, which seem to have never really gone away.
0: Yeah. So
1: <laughs> when you said that this was a, a dazzling and intensive memoir, it's like, did, did we read the same book?
0: <laughs> That's the publisher. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, <laughs> so let's, let's start then. I suppose, where did you come to this book and or movie?
1: I had no idea about the movie. I read the book a little bit earlier this year and than uh saw the movie for this podcast but yeah i it was completely off my radar
0: okay i had read the book around i i feel like i had heard about the book before the movie came out and i'm pretty sure that we read it in book club before the movie came out i could have to go back and look but i know we read it in book club and
1: it was probably before i joined though
0: well yeah since you yeah, I mean, I, you read all the books in book club, so it was definitely before you joined. Um, but I remember we read it in Book Club, and I just don't remember when. And then the movie came out, and I, I think my problem was I didn't like the book overly much. I didn't, I don't know if I didn't get it, or I just didn't care, or I had unrealistic expectations, but in my brain I very much connected it with Eat, Pray, Love. You know, white woman goes on walkabout and solves her problems that were, I guess, problems. I don't know. You know? Okay. Fine. Okay. So I wasn't super interested in seeing the movie. I just, I didn't, it just wasn't something I wanted to spend the time and energy. I felt like I read the book. I kind of got it. I knew what it was. So why would I choose to go back and exist in that place again? But it, you know, it's on our list. So and hiking and this is the the season of the hiking especially of the pacific crest trail so we we put it on the thing i reread it i think i got more out of it the second time reading it this time uh i think my quibbles are still there but i don't i didn't hate it as much as i disliked it the last time in fact i would say i don't actively dislike it but, but i'm still not quite completely sold on it and then I watched the movie and I was like, again, I don't know if this was necessary. <laughs> it's the same. <laughs> uh, okay. And I feel like, I mean, we're going to get into it, but some of the real emotional moments of the book, the things that I, I won't say I liked because they were sad or depressing or frustrating or whatever, but like the the emotional beats that really resonated me either were not in the movie or were in the movie but they were with everything else and the movie was very jumbled of flashbacks and but not in any kind of narrative. They weren't in chronological order, the flashbacks. And so, which I mean I guess is part of what a flashback is. But normally like if you have two narrative stories going along, you have like parallel structure, right? And like this part of the story goes from 1970 to 1980. And this part of the story goes from present day to six months from now. And they both like truck along on their parallel tracks until you realize that the thing in 1980 that you had been building up to in that particular, you know, storyline um, is why we're having the story from now to, to from six months from now. Blah, blah, blah. Right. This did not have that in the movie or in the book, really. In the book, it was a little bit more like that, a little bit more particular about how it came to be and, and her flashbacks made Chronological sense at least she would put them in a chronological place when she would start the flashback in the movie They were jumbled it was like she was a child. She's a teenager. She's an adult. She's a child. She's a teen She's an adult now. She's a teenager now this other thing happened and you don't really know where it goes in the Chronology of her past which is fine if it's a diary entry But if we're all supposed to follow along and understand I don't think the movie quite did that as well as the book did so any... For me,
1: uh the flashbacks became distracting in the movie after a while at first you're you're going to points and i didn't mind that you don't have a parallel structure or a parallel narrative it's more about what is impacting her at that moment as she's going through sort of the, the traumas of her life at one point it's when her uh, father was abusive at another point you know, it's uh, just kind of the, the song that triggers her memory about her mother. So that doesn't bother me as much, so much as that there's so many of them that you're jumbling up the plot too much. You you're making it muddy rather than clarifying what's going on with her emotionally.
0: Right. And and unfortunately I just did that whole recap and I feel like I recap Cheryl's life and I didn't really talk about her hike. But, like and that's what I feel like the book was like the book was like it's about this hike but not really. Like um because the I mean, you sum up the hike, she she wasn't prepared. She got dropped off. She walked for a while. It was miserable. Um, she didn't her stove wouldn't work cuz she would bought the wrong kind of fuel. Then she went off of the of the trail and hitchhiked and got and met up with some people and and got help. Then she got back on the trail. Then she walked some more. She was miserable. Then she was hot. Then she met somebody. Then she stopped for a couple of days. Then she kept walking. Then she was hot or cold or whatever. And then she was miserable. And then eventually she uh, got lost her boots. But it was okay because the book starts off with her losing her boots, and you think, holy shit, right? But in reality, she had ordered new boots, and these awful boots that didn't fit were only supposed to get her through another couple days. And then, so when she lost them, yes, then she did have to, like, walk on little flippy-flop sandals and duct tape for the rest of that day. But then she, you know, or maybe, I don't even know if it was, like, a whole day and a half or something. But it wasn't very long. Then she was at the next place, and she got her new boots, you know? Um, So it wasn't like she was just out there in the wilderness barefoot. Uh, and, And then she hiked some more, and then she hike some more and she got better at it and um somebody broke her water purifier which, which sucked but then it got fixed and people were nice to her and everybody that she met wanted to sleep with her and oh at one point she got off the trail in ashland and like had a whole romantic interlude with some random dude and that was lovely nice sex on the beach then she got back on the path and then she walked some more and then she got to the bridge the end like literally that's the walking part yeah, the walking exactly part
1: reflection
0: the walking part was, this book was not about the hiking I think that's partly why a lot of people hated it and there's a lot of people who hate this book because it's not it's not about the Pacific Crest Trail it's not about hiking the Pacific Crest Trail Like, all of those are trappings for her self-reflection introspective walkabout but it didn't have to be the Pacific she could have been walking the Appalachian Trail it could
1: have been the Appalachian Trail it could have been you know just walking the outback in australia for all that it really mattered because she's hot and then she wasn't
0: yeah exactly it, it could have been her hitchhiking across the country like going from this city to this city to meet up with friends and like her journeys along the way oh are you a hobo no no i have a place to go oh no you're kind of a hobo i mean i totally understand people's frustration with that because I, I definitely share
1: well there's a couple of different uh frustrations with this book So, one, it was wildly popular. It was part of Oprah's book club. It did make a lot of people more aware of the Pacific Crest Trail, so there's more activism in it. I don't want to just totally get on the book, but the frustration comes in a couple different directions. So, one, she's fairly privileged to be able to take this chunk out of her life and go on this thing that most people are not able to do. I'm sorry.
0: No, when, you. when you say fairly privileged, you mean highly and totally unaware of her own privilege, sort of privileged, right? That's what you meant.
1: Indeed, Kalia. That's exactly what I meant. So I thought.
0: Okay. <laughs> go ahead. Yes. Well, and not not just not just that she could go do it, but that she was a freaking white lady, and people like they gave her, her her nickname on the trail was Queen of the PCT because people were falling over themselves to help her. There was like one person that was mean to her and one guy who was creepy to her, that's it. Everybody else was just like-
1: It's very much, Mary Sue goes on a trail. So that's one frustration is the the privilege that she lives under, that she's able to do this. Um, Another one, and I, I think a better author could handle this in a way that would be way more interesting. So she does have some trauma that she's dealing with. You know, Losing your parent to cancer, is fairly serious and people do have that that they have to deal with that kind of pain they don't choose to to have her level of impulse control issues with heroin but just having heroin addiction and having this as a way of sort of recovering your identity could have been a much better story so in some sense i don't want to make light of the trauma that she was going through but not everybody gets the chance to do this kind of extreme thing Right. So that's a matter of frustration. She's so whingy about what she's going through.
0: I think that like you said she goes through something that is bad and then she makes bad choices and blah 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 but I think that that's kind of where my frustration with this and also like Eat Pray Love. In Eat Pray Love she has a divorce. It's not even like an angry divorce and then she has to go like on a journey of discovery and she travels the fucking world and like eats and prays and loves and romps and blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, fuck you, lady. A lot of people get divorced and like don't get to go on this thing. And I felt like the same kind of thing with Cheryl. Like she had a shitty childhood. Okay. Raise your hand if you didn't have a shitty childhood. She uh, was addicted to heroin. Okay. That is bad. Also, you know, and, and and her mom's death, really tragic, really tragic, especially so young. And... I get, I mean, I can't get it completely. I didn't lose my mom at a young age, but I can sense like that sadness and like how she's angry at her mom and she misses her mom. And like all of that is really there, but her particular coping is is great that she was able to do it. But it, it also seemed like, I mean, it, it could have been a different way or it didn't have to be this way. And I don't know, man. It just, something about it, something about, The way she processed in like you said under this umbrella of privilege was
1: yeah uh, and that's why i mean it's just a, a different writer would have been able to talk about heroin addiction alone is so difficult to deal with and having a story about that and going on the pacific press trail to find yourself could be a really great story it just wasn't here because she never really gets into the why of things she doesn't reflect on what started this. she doesn't reflect on how this trip made her stronger other than she just kept walking.
0: Yeah, it you was know, it, walked
1: I walked I walked I walked. Okay.
0: By by walking it she's showing us that she's strong enough to keep walking, but she didn't there wasn't it was really weird because there's a lot of introspective aspects but she wasn't super introspective at like, all at the same time. Do you know what I mean? Like she she wasn't telling us rambling
1: without reflection.
0: It, well, it was it was really say rumi- rumification rumi- rumination rumination without reflection because she's thinking a lot about the past and stuff but she's not really connecting it at least not in a way that the reader can tell to what's going on right now well
1: in particular this is one of those eye-rolling moments for me when i was reading the book where she's walking along oh there's a bear i wonder if it's a black bear but is it small for a black bear maybe it's a brown bear it's too far south for it to be a grizzly bear maybe they don't live in california anymore and so it's just okay grandpa with your long rambly story where are you going with it whereas if you read something from uh annie dillard you're going to get really deep thoughts you're going to get something about the nature of what it means to survive you know based on a small element that she sees that day and so the level of introspection and thought is really amateur There's a reason why most authors are almost never below 30 when they're published, and it's because they don't have the life experience to really make something that's lasting. They don't have the wisdom to capture that. That's not to say that there haven't been great number of authors, but that's why they tend to be older.
0: Well, it's interesting that you say that, because there was like a serious 17-year break between living this walk and writing about it. She was definitely older when she wrote about it. so. She, you know, it. I wonder how it would have, I wonder how she would have written it if she'd written it when she first, you know, and, and obviously then we wouldn't have had the little epilogue, nice button at the end of everything was going to be okay. I was going to end up getting married and having kids and blah, 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 you know, which honestly I, I didn't need. I think it would have been better if it had ended and you don't know what's going to happen to her because... Isn't that the whole point that you can accept? Like she makes this whole big thing at the end about how she's okay with like just seeing the fish under the surface of the water and not reaching anymore and being satisfied, accepting herself for who she is and being satisfied with where she is and the decisions that she's made and she doesn't know the future and that's okay. But by the way, just so you know, I totally got married and had a couple kids and like a happy, happy life. Uh Okay, but what if you didn't? right? Like, I just mm, mm, grumble. And then the other thing that I just want to touch on real fast because we've moved past it, but I want to go back to it is in the writing style of writing about a hike and writing about nature with hardly any discussion of nature, there's very little descriptive. I mean, yeah, it's like, it's hot, there's scrub brushes, there's like a tree, but I thought there would be more descriptions of the trail and of the nature aspect of it to make it very much in that time and place
1: considering her descriptive ability this is another line that stood out to me of oh god why did you write that in one of the scenes where she's in the hospital with her mom and she's looking at the male nurse and the objectification is just as cringy with cheryl doing this as when a guy objectifies a woman but there she is going wow he's got really tight pants on today and this is the line that made me go oh god Sometimes he gave it to her without a word, and sometimes he said no in a voice as soft as his penis. Really? That's that's the comparison you're going to go with, with a voice as soft as his penis? So I don't trust her <laughs> had to do anything that resembles quality work.
0: Right. And again, like in a different author's hands, I feel like the sexualizing of the male nurse as a way of like a defense mechanism and like okay my mother's dying I have no control but like here's this physical escape like this fantasy of like dragging him off into a into a cupboard somewhere a closet sorry I'm not British and like going at it and like feeling something else and like doing something you know I, I could almost see that but it wasn't actually fleshed out it was just like she's looking at his junk in his pants and then making a horrible I don't even know. That's not even a, I, I guess technically it's a simile, but I don't want to call it that. So like, you know, yeah, I, and then all the objective, apparently even dirty, even so dirty and, and destroyed and yada, yada, yada. She's so irresistible to men that, that every single guy along the path practically once once or, or or is at least you know manifesting in some way falling all over themselves to help her to give her something to try to hit her on her to invite her back for drinks and food and this and that and it's just oh my god i feel you know the trope of the um, the chill girl The cool girl? The cool girl. Yeah, you know the trope of the cool girl, right? Like, she's not like other girls because she hangs out with a messy bun and her big baggy sweatshirt and her short shorts, but her big baggy sweatshirt. And she likes to play video games, and she'll bring you your Cheetos and your Mountain Dew because she's cool, man. Oh, God. Cheryl was like a freaking cool girl, and I hate those girls. (laughs) No, I don't hate those girls, but I hate that trope, you know, and and how it sets up the other women and and the other people in this world and ugh, yeah
1: that was actually fairly well explored in gone girl she talks about oh well i'm going to be the cool girl and this is what it means and this is how you sort of trap guys yes so in some ways it's a very brave memoir and that she's willing to talk about how she damaged her husband who was essentially a good person because she did these horrible things as uh, she did get into heroin the story with the horse is particularly heartbreaking
0: yeah, so that stuff that the, the horse, yeah. okay so the horse her mother has this horse, her mother loves this horse the horse is named Lady, the horse um, is like becomes like basically symbolic of her mother, her mother can't ride the horse when she gets her, her diagnosis and then the stepfather doesn't take care of the horse after the mom has died and he he just like he can't, he can't deal with the horse, he doesn't take care of the horse the horse gets sick, the horse is blah 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 the horse needs to be put down and they she and her brother have to put this horse down and it's really awful and the horse doesn't die the horse is, like looking at them all trusting and then, and then they have to kill it. they have to shoot it a bunch of times it's super traumatic in the movie that kind of still happens Her mom loves a the horse there's a horse the horse is great um, there's no stepfather at all in the movie but fine um the moms you know like do, do the kindest thing they still have to kill the horse but it doesn't have the emotional resonance and it's, it doesn't, it hasn't have the symbolism of it being like her mom. It doesn't have the idea of people not being able to cope. And so now we have to do this horrible thing because somebody wouldn't do a basic thing. And, and then just the, the, the sheer trauma of, of killing it, it happened very quick. And I mean, obviously they can't kill a horse on scene, on set. Right. But, it did not have the same emotional resonance in the movie as it did in the book because it was just one of many 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 flashbacks of bad shit right it didn't have the weight mm-hmm. that's a little
1: disappointing so that's from you know one aspect of frustration she, she's privileged she's not a particularly good writer and then there's the reason backpackers hate her is that don't do this trail with zero experience you don't take a backpack that's half your weight this, this is insanity. You know, you didn't even go on day trips to prepare. You didn't do anything to prepare.
0: But Jennifer... She lived in a place with not a lot of... You need to lose yourself to fuck yourself. No, no, no. But, like, she lived in a place without running water. And, like, she tromped around in the woods near her family's home as a kid. And, like, she'd gone outside. So she was totally prepared. Oh, and she bought that book that was all, like, really going to help her. And then she brought it on the plane. And then I guess she didn't read it on the plane. And then she was going to read it in the hotel room. But then she didn't. But, like, she bought it. Uh yeah exactly so frustrating yeah. <laughs> it's like when characters so, make stupid choices and you're just like don't that's dumb like I can't I can't why
1: did you go into the basement right why are you splitting up
0: maybe you deserve to be
1: killed no, don't be right. the thing that gets everybody killed every other movie I'm
0: victim blaming
1: <laughs> but it
0: yes and then she was fine. Like, she endured. Her toenails fell off. They grow back. Like, she was in pain. Her, You know? But also, I don't know. It's not... I mean, it, I, I I, like justice. I like it when people get smacked for doing stupid things. And I didn't feel like she really... I mean, maybe she did. In the book, she definitely felt... The book... She suffered more in the book than in the movie. In the movie, they moved up her losing her boots and getting new boots. They moved up the, the, the thing with the water filter. I mean, she didn't lose her water filter. Like... A bunch of stuff like the movie didn't. To me, it did not feel like she suffered as much in the movie as she did in the book because. And Reese Witherspoon didn't look all that different at the end of the movie than she did at the beginning. She looked a little dirtier. She had some scrapes on her face, but her hair didn't change at all. I'm sorry. She was out yeah, there for three like months. Shadows under her eyes. Uh, whatever. She was out there for three months. Girl, it is quarantine. Do you know what my hair has done in three months? It has not stayed the same. I will tell you that I'm washing it. But it is drastically longer, and my hair doesn't even grow fast. There was, and and her body, she didn't, like, in the book, there was a couple times where she stopped and, like, looked at herself in the mirror, and she had, like, this disgusting, and, like, yes, she had some scabs in the movie, but it was not the same. The, The trauma of her body in the book seemed a lot more. So, there, that, there's that, Yeah. But I can understand why backpackers didn't like this book. I have a friend who actually we have a mutual friend who was reading this book while her son was hiking the Pacific Crest Trail. And she was getting very, very mad <laughs> at, at Cheryl for not preparing because she knew how much preparation her son had done. You know, that like, people take it yeah. seriously. I feel like that anytime I see somebody, you know, if you've ever watched a show about somebody who has the specialized skill with a real-life person who actually has that specialized skill and you hear them angrily rant about it, you know, that's not how that works, that machine doesn't actually exist, that's not how they do this, blah blah blah. Yeah, so I can I can totally see why like, backpackers and hikers and, you know, people with two brains... No, sorry, that's cruel. Like, people would just not, would not be a fan of this.
1: So looking at this, uh, I could not stop thinking about, one, all the people who are inspired by this book, because it does make you want to go out and do these kind of hiking trails. And how many people die? How many people get massively injured?
0: Yeah, I was going to say, it certainly did not make me want to go out and hike. (laughs) 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 But yes, I I can imagine that some people would be like, oh, well, if Cheryl can do it, at least I'm not coming down from heroin. Oh, okay, yes. Pin, I want to hear the rest of what you're saying. I know I'm interrupting you, but she did not go through any kind of heroin withdrawals. Like, aren't heroin withdrawals like the worst kind of withdrawals?
1: They're pretty significant,
0: yes. I I mean, either that or all of those ads in the '80s lied to me. But I thought like once you started heroin, it was like almost impossible to get off of it, and it was just like
1: it's like your brain in a in a is an egg in a frying pan, Kalia. That's what happens.
0: Right? Sizzle, sizzle. <laughs> I don't know. Like I kept waiting for the DTS or whatever to kick in, and there was none of that. And I was like, "Oh, I guess heroin's not as bad, and maybe the PCT trail's not as bad."
1: And if you want a film that's actually really good about disaffected youth dealing with heroin, go watch Train Spotting.
0: Yeah, no, I don't really want that. I'm just saying, like, it just okay. No, anyway, that's but.
1: Actually dealing with the problem. Swing so back to what you were saying. one of the things that this reminded me of is uh, some of the issues with Mount Everest. Because it is overly hyped. It is overly used. There is a literal pile of shit that is ready to run down from all the tourists. They have no idea what mountaineering is. They're entirely dependent on Sherpas. So it's me, it is very much a rich person's thing. Oh, I did this thing, but you didn't really earn it. And it's incredibly damaging to the mountain and then you have issues that people are not fit enough and so they're endangering other people on the trail yeah so her packing yeah i had a friend who you know we were cheering him on as he was preparing for this and he was measuring his backpack for every single pound trying to get it down to something like 40. and so the care that he took was you know as much part of the trip and it, it, it's something that you have to do when you don't show that, when you say, oh yeah, traveling's great, you should do this thing, you are endangering people, and that is irresponsible.
0: Yep, I would agree.
1: Okay, so there was an interview with Cheryl, and the interviewer, this I believe is Mother Jones Magazine, so you'll be cool of it when your kids announce their plans to hack the Appalachian Trail alone. From Cheryl, that would make me so happy. I would feel like I had parented them well. I would take full credit. Ha 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 ha. Wow. Because she She laughs. Wow! You learned nothing! You learned nothing about this! You would endanger your children and think that's a great thing to do. And that's what really bothers me. She had impulse control issues going in. Did that change? No. She almost died numerous times from dehydration or getting lost or doing something stupid. Did that change her perception on how to be prepared for life? That is an important thing responsible adults learn. Did she learn that? No.
0: I, okay. I think, I think she tried to learn, and again like if this was a novel and not a memoir maybe it would be cleaner and, and more put together but i do feel like she started being able to get help from people and to learn a little bit of how to survive and how to work and how to you know and and part of that is is maybe i'm reading too much into it but the first half two-thirds it's it's like this constant struggle of putting up the tent and doing this and blah, blah, blah. and then by that like the last chunk of it it was like almost on like not say easy mode like it was still long and she was still walking a lot but we didn't get the struggle and i i couldn't quite tell if that was because it was now easier for her because she had learned how to do some stuff or if it was just the the book just needed to get to like the important parts but i do feel like once you've done something for months and months you would kind of start to figure out the best way to do it and i i mean not Again, it's not a novel, so like, these things actually happen to her, so we have to be careful when we ascribe symbolism and metaphor to them. But the fact that her, her boots are the wrong size, and people tell her, multiple people tell her, your boots are too small. And she's like, la la la, la your boots are too small la, 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 finally, after like this major descent and she's lost all these toenails and whatever, someone's like, your boots are too small. And she's like, well, what am I supposed to do about it? And he, like, I don't know, buy new boots. No, or quit, or I don't know, trade or something or ask, you know, and he's like, you got them at REI. You can get a new pair. And it was like, oh my God, can I? Wow. And then she orders a new pair. She gets frustrated because they don't just magically appear super fast. But then even then, they still hurt okay, they're probably the right size now, but they still, they give her pain, but that seemed like a learning thing, like, hey, you don't have all the answers, and I don't know how you didn't get that you don't have all the answers the second you tried to pick up that backpack in your hotel room, but here we are, 38 days later, and you still don't have all the answers, and it's okay to not have all the answers, but you need to ask for help, and not just but then at the same time, the universe just kept providing shit for her. Like that ski pole that she just found that was like the perfect thing that she needed, that she didn't even know that she needed, you know? And the water tank was empty, but then, oh, there's a puddle over here. You know what I mean? Like all these, the universe just kind of kept rewarding her bad impulse. So like, I did feel like she was learning and like becoming more resilient at the same time. I don't know if she really was or if she just was not telling us as much
1: about the. Str- I don't know. I was very confused. I don't know. Well, that's why that that quote from Cheryl really struck me, is that there was no learning. So if you do something 90 times, your court get better at it. You know, she put up her tent 90 times, it'll be easier as you go along. But like you said, how many people told her, your shoes are too small, and she kept ignoring it and ignoring it until it became a crisis, much like the horse, much like so many other things that were going on in her life. You keep ignoring a problem until you reach rock bottom and that's the only time she was able to redirect her course Mm -hmm. so when you talk about symbolism uh one of the discussion points around this novel is how symbolic it is for her pack to lighten up as she's able to you know take out her emotional baggage and those are the kind of symbols i want to be careful with because okay she learned a little bit about this but that doesn't necessarily reflect on the other it would in a novel it doesn't always match up in a memoir
0: Mhm. Right. Well, and obviously, like, too, her backpack got less, you know, heavy when somebody basically made her unpack it and, like, repack it all and was like, you don't need this camera. You don't need this thing. You don't need this entire roll of condoms for reals. You know, and like, but that was, that was this male authority figure coming in and being like, nope, nope, nope. I will fix this for you, you know? And she just sat there and then was so grateful that somebody had come along and helped her out again.
1: (laughs) Okay, so on the trail there are what are called trail angels and there are people who are along the trail who just help you out. They'll give you food, they'll provide a shower uh, and it's all purely love for the trail, for nature, for this whole this whole experience. Unfortunately they are dying out. A lot of them have been doing this for 25-30 years and the trail is completely changing and then with COVID it is completely different. You're not supposed to do the long trail anymore, just day trips but the idea that people can be good, that people can not be giving of, you know, of themselves with no expectation is one of those things that can be uh, cathartic.
0: And I think that the book did a really good job of showing us the trail angels and the sense of community of the other hikers. They were keeping tabs on one another. You know, oh, did you hear what happened to so-and-so? These guys had to do this. These people are over here. They knew each other's names. They, there was like this instant camaraderie obviously they have to cut things out for the movie and what they did was they cut out community and there was a couple of characters along the trail that she encountered there was like three people that she talked to it was so shortened and and chopped up i I missed that in the book there was definitely that sense of community and i thought that was like part of the the draw of the pacific crest trail is that you are in this like fraternity of people who have done this thing and are doing the thing you know, together. This
1: is, yeah, this is one of the, the great ironies about this kind of experience is that you're doing this so independently. You do have to carry your own backpack. You are going alone to a lot of it. And yet it also highlights how interdependent we are as humans. So this idea of rugged individualism and that you shouldn't have to help support other people in the world. That's what it makes me think of is we are living in a society. We are dependent on each other. You can't live on your own or you could, but that's not how a society works. We do have to work with each other. We do have a community we need to support. So that's one of those ironies about this that I thought was really interesting is this pull of individualism, but how that also highlights the need for interconnectivity.
0: Yes. Definitely. So, some major differences. I said that talked about the hikers. Um, her sister and her stepfather completely left out of the film. Less is made of the few instances of people being unkind She'd to her. Apparently,
1: own. also has a half sister. Oh, yeah. She found out that after having done this book, uh, there was a woman who emailed her and said, "I think we share a father."
0: Okay. Uh, Less was made of the of the unkind people. There was like you know, there was just the one creepy guy in the movie and the book. There was creepy guy and the people who wanted to charge her for camping that one time. Less was made of the bypassing. I felt like that was a much bigger deal in the book. Um Less was made, there was no rainbow festival. Uh, and her brief vacation in the, you know, in Ashland was 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 shorter in the film, which made sense again they got to cut stuff, but there's a reason why a lot of people like scoff at this and they're like she didn't really hike it. And here's the thing. Okay, The Pacific Crest Trail goes from Mexico to Canada. She was never going to hike the whole thing. That was never her plan. She was going to go from the Mojave to Ashland. Like, that's what she was going to do. To Calford, yeah. And then she couldn't do all of that because of snow, which is... Legitimate. And also, um, she wasn't the only person who bypassed. Like, everybody was bypassing or quitting. She didn't quit. She bypassed. Okay, fine. So she bypassed that, and then instead of stopping in Ashland, she continued on to all the way up to Washington. So she went from the Mojave to Washington. So it's not like she did none of it. And yes, she took some bypass. She went off and came back and went off and came back a couple times. And there was that bypass. But I mean, I'm going to, obviously I have my issues with this book. That is an
1: unfair criticism.
0: It is. It's an unfair criticism for people to say, well, she didn't really do it except, except that the cover of the book is just, from lost to found on the pacific crest trail and you turn it over if you don't know that she's only attempting this portion of the pacific crest if you you know what i mean it almost makes it sound like she was going to do the whole thing and then she did so whatever people it is kind of an unfair criticism that she didn't do as much as other people because she did way more than i would ever ever do <laughs> she did more yeah. than a lot so of people we would just
1: do so remember in the book you know, we want to be fair, and it is a really common thing to bypass certain areas when there's a mudslide, you know, there's uh, bad conditions. That's not unusual. Uh, when my friend hiked it, he had to bypass because of fires. Mm-hmm. And that's happening a lot more in California. So, yeah, she didn't hike the whole thing. It wasn't her intention. It was to hike part of it, and so, totally unfair. So... Just as some little movie tidbits, because I like to do the trivia.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, the daughter in the movie, who plays young Cheryl, is uh, the real-life daughter of Cheryl. Cheryl herself does make a cameo. In the very beginning, she is the truck driver who drops Reese Witherspoon off at the first hotel motel. It's very cool. Um,
0: What did you think of Laura Dern as her mom?
1: It's kind of fascinating. If you look at the pictures of the actual people with the ones that they chose to to portray them. Uh, Laura Dirt does have that free-spirited sort of hippiness that was really sweet, but you could also see the problems. I thought it was really brave of Cheryl to write about those dreams when she's killing her mother, because her mother does come off as very sweet, but there's a little bit of disconnect there.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and not in the movie, but yeah, it was, those were, there were some really good moments in the book, like I said.
1: In the movie, I really liked the car ride when Reese Witherspoon playing Cheryl, has sort of this oh well, you don't know the books i do mom and her mom has that moment of being a little sad a little angry and it's like well i did want you to be better than i am and just acknowledging that broke cheryl down a little bit Going, oh i'm, I'm being a bitch to my mom i shouldn't do that yeah. so nice little bits of complexity to the relationship
0: i do think the film did a good job of recreating particular moments but i don't think that it was able to do the like the deeply personal stuff But I I thought that Reese Witherspoon is freaking amazing. I, I, I can't think of a thing where she's been bad in any, you know, she's so good. And she's 10 years older than Cheryl. You know, she was in her late 30s when she did this. And it's so good. I bought it. I bought all of it. I bought Reese Witherspoon doing all of it. And... I love Reese Witherspoon, so there's that. Yeah, I thought that the, the casting was really... I mean, obviously, Reese Witherspoon's company made it, and she won the role, so... <laughs> but I, I thought it did well with that, in terms of the casting. Laura Darn, eh, fine, give or take. I That's fine, but I thought Reese Witherspoon just knocked it out of the park.
1: Well, you know, this also brings up the, the question of memoirs, is how much of this is true? It could be entirely true to the author's memory, but memory itself is rather faulty. So we've been kind of going, oh my god, every guy's in love with her. How much of that is true? Hard to say. Uh, because she is quite hard on herself in a number of points in the book, but at the same time it's like, okay girl, chill with that. Maybe you do need that whole roll of condoms. Maybe the, just the one <laughs> to get you through so you're holding on to that one condom that <laughs> becomes a simple symbol, symbol.
0: So we talked, uh, the, the theme of grief is obviously runs through it, and everybody processes grief different ways. We, we talked about her trauma. There's definitely an element of forgiveness. She has to forgive her mom for dying. Um, she has to forgive herself for doing all the things that she did. Her husband forgives her because he's a saint. And the the trail is unforgiving. It freaking is. Yes, he is. Um, the trail, of course, is unforgiving. But she makes it work for her and of course then she forges a path like you know there's a little bit of that you know themes and stuff i basically only have two things left and they're kind of like my end summation wrap-up stuff so
1: I have, like one thing is again her as a writer not really being up to par on this but i was watching this little uh sort of criticism of the office and there's a scene where michael scott who is an idiot he is a doofus he has a quote he notes the guy who quoted it, and then he's quoted by Michael Scott, and that just made me think of Cheryl so much. Okay, you're quoting, you know, people who have vastly better intellects than you, are more insightful about the world, and then putting yourself in the quote as if it's amazing that you know about the quote. That just drove me nuts. <laughs>
0: and was only part of the movie. That they it was like yeah. oh that was a very strange audition that she was signing the trail logs with quotes by famous people and herself, and I was like that's. Weird.
1: yeah to add a quote from a famous person is fine but then to attribute the quote to you quoting it yeah it's a little egocentric just a little...
0: i didn't mind that they had her in it with the journal in the movie because it made sense and she could like write we got more in her brain which was fine but yeah the, mm. the part the that part was not great the the quotes um, okay, so I have a note about bypassing, which, again, was made more of a deal in the, in the book, I felt like, than in the movie. But I found this, and I'll link it in our show notes. Um, but bypassing teaches Cheryl one of her most powerful lessons of the trail. Achieving a goal can mean changing strategies, and things will seldom unfold exactly as predicted. So much of Cheryl's anger and grief is rooted around her inability to accept that even though it was tragic and unfair, her mother did, in fact, get sick and die acceptance is part of what will set her free. And I thought, yeah, that's exactly right. Like, it's not exactly how you think it's going to be if you've thought about it at all. And you have to accept that things, you have to just accept things sometimes, you know, and you can be sad about them, but you still need to accept them. And I think that she did get there eventually. And I like that she added on to her path. Like she lengthened her trip when, when she was like, oh, I can't do this part of it. I'll do more at the end because what's important is that I walk until I've gotten to this thing and I think I won't have gotten to this internal thing until late. You know what I mean? Like I, I need that time. Uh, it was more about the time of walking for her. Which again is why I think that she could have been hitchhiking across the country. It didn't really need to be on the Pacific Crest Trail. So
1: That is a great lesson of just learning to let go of this rigid set of plans and be open to the changes of the world as they come.
0: Yes. But also
1: make a plan, man! (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, again, it was missed opportunities to me of you have this great thing of you win unprepared and that's very much life. You can only prepare so much and life has to teach you certain things that you would never be able to prepare for otherwise. You do need that experience. So it, it could have been a great lesson in better hands. Yeah. So missed opportunities.
0: Which I think that it's hard when people write their own stories. I am very critical of memoirs, as you may or may not know, have picked up on. But, okay, they're they're not a genre that I particularly like or feel drawn to for a variety of reasons. But one of them is that. That, you know, people can't be completely honest and they're going to do things or you think, well if this was a novel, you could have like made the symbolism matter. You could have done something deeper here, blah, blah, blah. But I can't because that's not how it really happened. Okay, fine. I wish this was a novel. And then it had done these other things instead of being a memoir, but okay. The screenplay I think did a better job in, a, in some of these ways because like Nick Hornby, who's an amazing author his, in his own right, adapted it mm-hmm. and, and made it into a screenplay. And I think um, I, I read a thing where they were asked Cheryl why she didn't make it into you know why she wasn't part of the screenplay and she's like well she made notes and she made some suggestions and there was one additional scene that made her um wince and uncomfortable but for the most part she understood that they were making a movie and it was different than her than her lived in experience and yada yada but I think that that is important like you can have a story and then in the hands of a, of a different writer or a screenwriter or the director it can become so much better. Just that point of trivia, the thing that uh, made her a little weirdo out weirded out, a little wincy, was the in the movie she has sex with two random guys in an alleyway, which did not happen in real life, but it was the film's shorthand for saying, Yep, bad impulse control and she is a super super slut and so that just gets it across as opposed to having like a montage of her sleeping with a bunch of different guys. So, yeah, anyways.
1: a number of uh, fictive elements. Like she walked out of her therapy session, that didn't actually happen. Uh, The pregnancy was a little bit more complex in real life. So that, you know, that just goes to trying to tell a story as well. Oh, okay. So going back a little bit, uh, there's the whole hobo time thing and he gave her a beer (laughs) to a hobo. Hey, you're the first lady hobo I've seen. Here's some junk food and a
0: beer. I mean, here's the thing. If you're homeless, And that is your life, and you are miserable and sad and hungry all the time. Like a beer is cool; it's gonna like take the edge off for a little bit. I am I'm all about the self medicating of the the non homed population, right? Uh, That's
1: the, the part that bothers me. Oh. You know, it's it's like whatever it takes to get you through the day, especially when your life is you know at a level of horrible. But you know, just to say, here's your hobo package. It's a beer. You know, not like water that would, you know, give you some ability to deal with dehydration when you're out on the road like that. It's a salty thing of non-nutritious chips and that's your gift bag to somebody who's going through crap.
0: Not not the best, most useful, but that's definitely more of a, um, we're not worried about delayed gratification or thinking long term. This is like instant gratification. What's going to feel good right now? And, uh, which, you know, is very judgy from that guy. Like, oh, you can't plan ahead. You just want the instant stuff. Here's your beer and chips. At the same time, I mean, yay beer. She was pretty damn happy to get that beer and chips. So, so she changes her name. Her real last name was like Nyland. And when she got divorced, she could pick a new last name, which is a thing that you get to do. Uh, which is very nice for some of us who are like, hey, I don't want to go back to my maiden name because I didn't really feel like I connected with that name, but I certainly don't want to just hang on to my ex-husband's last name because the patriarchy sucks and why do I even need to have a name that's associated with my father or my (laughs) husband? Maybe I want my own last name and so then you, you know, pick a name and maybe it's a, a name from your matrilineal side of your family. Cough, cough if you're awesome. Or maybe you come up with a brand new last name, which is also rather cool and empowering. I like the idea of it. I love the idea of it. I freaking did it. Right? Okay. Uh, And I can't, like, I mean, I don't really want to yuck her yum here, but the fact that she picked the name Strayed, and she was getting a divorce partly because of her infidelity and because she was straying from her life plan and her life had, like, the path of her life had gotten completely thrown out of whack when her mother died and she was completely lost in the wilderness and, like, all of that stuff. It is so on the nose. And then she wrote a novel, or sorry, a a memoir about hiking, where she didn't couldn't stay on the path of the hike because she wasn't experienced enough, and also was having it. I mean, it's just it's it's one of those like you can't make shit like this up because it's this it, is real. But at the same time, if this was a movie or a book, we'd go oh my god, grow some imagination, you know? Oh, I don't know.
1: Yeah, that's kind of the issue with naming conventions. Like, you name a, a character Charity, and you're either doing it ironically or not, but that's one of those names that, oh, you're doing a convention for a thing. Like, if you ever see a character named Shepherd, they're usually the devil because it's making fun of Jesus in some way. Or their Shepherd book from Firefly. Yeah, so shepherds are are tied into Jesus. Yes. Yeah, so stuff like that. I, it is a very well chosen
0: name i'll give her credit for that anyways and and just here's your psa you don't have to keep the name that you were assigned you don't have to keep the gender you were assigned you can make your own path you can be your own person but please don't have to follow that trail you don't have to follow that trail that's right but please please for the love of god (laughs) prepare before going on the pct (laughs) (laughs) read the damn pamphlet Read the damn pamphlet, yes. Okay, so we are going to have a really fun supplemental episode where we're going to talk more about the PCT itself and have some interviews with some people who have actually hiked the PCT uh, with being prepared and, uh, and have hiked the whole thing from Mexico to Canada. So that's going to be really fun if you are one of our patrons then you will get that in your feed in the next week or so uh and if you are not one of our patrons well it's a dollar man come and be in the patron club and spend that dollar a month and get um high high quality content like us talking about the pct also an upcoming uh supplemental episode will be me and the seven-year-old talking about the the, (laughs) the amazing movie that was not based on a book but um there's a reason why it got picked uh beverly hills chihuahua so i'm just going to plug that right here that's coming that is the high quality content i know our patrons love yes and now to sum up jennifer was this book worth your time was this movie worth your time was this podcast worth your time
1: the podcast yes the podcast is absolutely worth your time I should totally listen to the podcast because it's awesome. So the book, eh, it's okay. The movie is worth your time because the movie is only two hours.
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I guess I would say if you're super curious or you really want to read it, uh, or you really want to experience this whole introspective gr- dealing with grief in this very particular way by this very particular privileged lady and, that that's like what you're there for you might as well read the book um, because i feel like the book had a lot more emotional resonance and to me the movie's not unless you just hate reading or you're just not going to have the patience to get through the book then by all means watch the movie but if you if you had to pick one or the other i would say the book in this case is better than the movie at telling the story that it sets out to tell even if that particular story has its issues. So, there we go. Yeah,
1: I'll I'll add in that uh, in the process of watching this movie, my mother was in the background doing some painting, adult coloring book sort of stuff, and the sex scenes got her attention, so she was like, well, turn up the volume. What's going on here? The book will probably board her. So, to each his own, but my mom liked the movie.
0: Hey, and it was Reese Witherspoon's first nude scene, so it's got that going
1: for it. Yay for Reese Witherspoon. Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Today's episode of Pages and Popcorn Podcast was brought to you in slow, haltingly form by horrible technical difficulties that I will try to fix in post-production. So, yes. And um, the decision for me to sit here in my air-conditioned house and not go outside. I hate nature.
1: (laughs) I wish I had had air conditioning. (laughs) It's only 105 today. Let's go for a hike. (laughs) Don't
0: bother to bring water. We'll just bring these Pepsi cans. <laughs> oh, also, Reese Witherspoon. It okay. On. It did not talk about this in the In the book, she had a hat. It, she referenced it a couple times. I don't think it ever said anything about sunglasses. I might have just missed it. But in the movie, she didn't have a hat. She didn't have a hat, Jennifer. She didn't have sunglasses, and she did not have a hat. And I'm like, you're starting in the Mojave Desert. I wear sunglasses when I take the garbage out. Like, how do you not put a fucking hat on your head?
1: <sighs> okay, well, we're also both very Californian, and that is a Californian thing to do because the sun here is blinding. It does significant damage, and that's, you know, maybe because she was in Minnesota, she did not understand that sunglasses are important. So... She's just- Different set Pe- of
0: wilds. People who live in the Midwest, do you wear hats outside? Because I feel like there's a lot of ball caps going on over there. So, I don't know. Maybe you're right, and it's a California thing to actually, like, protect ourselves from the sun because we're not, you know, whatever. But, yes. Write in at popcorn at, Gmail, at gmail.com and tell us what part of the country you live in and whether or not you wear a gosh darn hat when you go outside for a hike or sunglasses when you take out the trash. Thank you so much for listening. Okay, well, we're done, and we're done. So, we're stopped. We're done. Goodbye! Okay.